noticing that she's such a hustler. She just had so many things going on. I was like, oh my gosh, I should start doing more with my life. Hello, and welcome to the One Team Gov Show, a podcast featuring conversations with awesome people doing interesting stuff in the public sector. Today, we're incredibly excited to be recording at the One Team Gov Global event in London, where over 700 public sector reformers from around the world have come together to share, teach and inspire practical action on an international scale. My name is Kylie. And I'm Kamala. And today we're talking with Ligia Teixeira, Director for the Centre for Homelessness Impact. Firstly, did I say your name right? Yes, thank you. Awesome. You're currently at the One Team Gov Conference. How are you finding it so far? I just arrived, but I'm really excited about being here this afternoon. There's lots of people that I've connected with before and I want to catch up with and new people to to meet. Can you tell us a little bit about the Centre for Homelessness Impact? It's a new organisation. Its gestation period goes back a long while and it goes back to my interest in homelessness more generally as well. I worked at the London School of Economics when I first became interested in homelessness. Actually, my background is in political theory. I started meeting street homeless people at Lincoln's in Fields, parked behind the LSE, and they told me about Crisis, the national charity for single homeless people. And I started volunteering for them. And after two or three years, as I grew disenchanted with academia, only in the sense that I wanted to do something more concrete with my work, I took up an offer for a job at the charity. And over a period of years, I grew the evidence function within the organization, which was very exciting. And now they have the largest program of evidence, not just across the UK, but also internationally. About two years, ago, we started having discussions about the fact that the sector in the UK was turning 50. And we started asking ourselves, what do we need to do to ensure that we don't need to be here in 50 years, not just crisis, but the homelessness sector, more generally, put ourselves out of business. One of the things that was identified was for a new organisation that focuses on the championing of reliable evidence to ensure that policy and practice are underpinned by robust evidence. Because after all, the impact of our services hasn't changed very much over the past 50 years. There's a big opportunity, we feel, to ensure that we move towards the future without homelessness more effectively if only we support change makers to make better use of data and evidence. So lots of your work is about taking this evidence-based approach. Can you tell us how do you do that? That's one of the things we're trying to work out. The first thing we need to do, though, is to ensure that uh, the evidence we do have is of a particular type. So with the centre, for instance, we're obsessed with this idea that we need to create an infrastructure, the infrastructure necessary to make sure that when we tackle homelessness, we do so effectively. In other social policy fields, over recent years, fields like policing, education, they started building such infrastructure for learning and we lack one in homelessness. So that's a key focus of the centre to begin with. We will step by step help build the infrastructure we need and we started by systematically mapping all the evidence that's been produced across the globe. So a very simple thing to do, but it never been done before. So it's groundbreaking in the homelessness field. Once we mapped all the evidence available of effectiveness interventions and of implementation studies, 
We then created a very simple digital intervention tool that provides overviews of the body of knowledge around all the main homelessness interventions. So putting the end users of our research first by making sure that the highest quality evidence available at their fingertips, that's been our main priority. So if you're trying to create a movement for evidence-based practice, I guess the first thing you need to do, we're saying, is to understand what's there, categorize it, it's harder than you may think, and then put it at people's fingertips. So we released a number of tools over recent months that we're now user testing, an approach that's not typically done by similar types of organizations, and we're going to make that the focus of our work going forward. By understanding what's there, we can then ensure that we invest in the types of studies that will help drive progress. So we will be commissioning low-cost trials as well as effectiveness studies. We will also be working with people across the sector to help them ask the right questions. And the other main thing that we need to work on is help change makers act on the best evidence available more promptly. So even in health, where they're miles ahead of the homelessness field, there's still a gap of between 17 years between the time when there's reliable evidence and when that evidence is acted upon. So we have a lot of work to do, but we're being very methodical and very systematic about it. And we know we can't do this on our own. So we're finding the right partners and right individuals to help us not just create the centre, but creating this movement we're trying to create for evidence-based policy and practice in homelessness. I really love that comment around putting end users first and having the information at their fingertips. Are there any interesting challenges specifically with working with a transient population? Data in particular. It's really hard to capture good quality data. Most of the data we do have available is recorded by the local authorities, but many people are hidden. So that's a massive issue. We also don't have, as we found through the tools we just produced, a culture of evaluation. So lots of the research, ironically, that's done in homelessness tends to be about who homeless people are their needs, their backgrounds. And we now, thanks to all this great work that's happened over the years, have a much better understanding of the causes of homelessness and consequences than ever before. However, in comparison to what we know about the interventions we offer people, the difference is remarkable. The tools we produce focus on that, you know, never mind who people are and their level of need and complexity of need. Let's focus on what we do for them and let's find out how effective those interventions are. That's the question we, we put to ourselves as we began this journey. And what the tools show is that we actually know relatively little. Most of the really common things we've been doing for 50 years, we don't have very strong evidence that they actually work. So in other fields, it would not be acceptable to be doing things with people without knowing whether they work or not. But that's what we've been doing in homelessness for 50 years. There was no ill intent at all, and lots of good work is happening. So we just want to create a learning sector that as soon as they think about doing something, delivering an intervention or offering something to people, you test it because it kind of helps accelerate progress. And it also ensures that we're not harming people because we know from other fields that that's the danger. Like Scared Straight, it's a program that was popular in the US, started in the 17th. This idea that you take kids that's playing up at school take them to prison so they, you know, they see hardcore criminals and they put them off antisocial behavior. But those programs not only don't work, they actually make the kids more likely to commit antisocial behavior. So we just don't know, because so few things have been tested in homelessness, whether some of the things we might be doing could actually be causing harm. So we're just trying to gently encourage the sector, both directly as well as indirectly, start investing in empirical methods because it's more actionable evidence that you have 
as well as just supporting them. Because one of the things we haven't faced yet, which is just really encouraging, is that people haven't challenged us on, on this. You know, they really want to do better and they really are open to this idea of working in a different way and they just want help to do it. That's incredible. It's quite remarkable that the industry, as you said, has been going for 50 years and hasn't really started to take some of this more evidence-based approach. Can you give us an example of one of those interventions and what you learned from that? One of the few interventions that's been tested rigorously in homelessness is Housing First. Housing First is an intervention that is very simple. It's about taking people off the streets, no matter how complex their needs, and giving them a home. seems quite intuitive. But for many people working in the sector, it's just the opposite because it turns on its head the social norm in the field in the sense that most people are made to go through a number of steps in order to prove that they're housing ready before they're offered housing. Housing First is an intervention that started many years in the early 90s in the US because the person who started it, Samson Berries, came from a medical background. It started being tested straight away and it was then scaled up. The evidence has been getting over the years, and yet, you know, in the UK, it's only now that it's being implemented at a sufficient scale and tested rigorously in England. That's the story of Housing Fast. There's been rigorous evidence for a number of years, and yet take-up in this country has been really slow. How can we make sure that going forward, how can centre then help scale those interventions, disseminate them, so that we offer people interventions that work for them? You talked about this idea of being housing ready and the assessment that's <laughs> given to people. What are some common misconceptions people have like that around the homelessness population? There's so many that it's their own fault that they're homeless. From the sector's perspective, more that the idea of conditionality that in order to receive certain types of support, that should be conditional on people behaving or that they should spend their money in a particular way. Also, there's this common misconception that the public have that homelessness is not a solvable problem. And what we realised recently is that the third sector, obviously not intentionally, has been part of the problem because of the, some of the messages, uh, some of the communications we put out. Um, again, with the centre, we're very keen to use evidence-informed communications by using crisis messages in the sense of focus on numbers, being high, etc., that we give the impression that homelessness is not a solvable issue, because it is. Another misconception is that it's the job of the homelessness sector to solve homelessness. The homelessness sector can't end homelessness on its own. So again, part of the mission of the centre is to ensure that we bring new disciplines into the sector, new people, a fresh pair of eyes, because we know that by working way it helps us all ask the right questions bringing different skills and disciplines we believe it will really help accelerate impact you talked earlier about your background working for crisis what is it that made you feel so passionate about working with homeless people it was through meeting some people in Lincoln's and Fields at the LSE that I first got interested in homelessness. However, it probably goes further back because I come from a very poor region in Portugal. Despite my accent, I've actually been in the UK for most of my life, over 20 years. I think that's where it comes from. I come from a very, very poor part of Portugal, the northeast. And I've never expected when I came to the UK to see people sleeping on the streets. And uh, I just wanted to do something about it, I guess. 
the idea of being able to use evidence to drive change always really appealed to me. And I've just been really committed to it ever since. Initially within crisis and now trying to do that by creating a new independent organization that stands outside the sector and acts as that voice of reason, critical friend that everyone can trust because it's unbiased and independent. And it's so amazing that crisis was able to identify and acknowledge the need for such an organization and supporting its creation. Could you tell us a little bit about how that all started and how Crisis supported you in founding this new organization? It goes back about two and a half years ago. At the time, we started having discussions about the crisis anniversary and how the plan to end homelessness would have to be evidence-based. But then we had started having discussions about what else might need to happen. And because we had a new chief executive, John Sparks, He was also asking lots of questions about how effective is the sector collaboratively. And it was as part of those discussions that we realized that despite all the great work that is happening by crisis and others, and the fact that our best services make a difference, and the fact that our understanding of the causes and consequences of homelessness is better than ever before, collectively, the positive impact of our work changed little over the past 50 years, despite the fact that the sector has grown and there's been a lot of investment. We also realized that the way we talk about homelessness in the third sector often is harming the very people we're supposed to be helping. It was then that we realized that it was time for a new approach. And like I said, Crisis does lots of lobbying work and services as well. They also identify the need for this independent organization that could stand outside the sector and and help the whole sector as opposed to a single organization. And at the time, I was doing a fellowship with Glory Social that gave me the headspace and the opportunity to think about this idea properly. And when I was at the airport one day, I picked up this book <laughs> that I was going to mention later by David Halpin. And in that book, he mentioned that there was a new type of organization called the What Works Centers that made it their business to really drive change by ensuring that policy and practice is underpinned by reliable evidence. So I looked into that in more detail and I made a proposal to Crisis and the other co-founder, GHN, that I do a feasibility study to look into the desirability of such an organization for homelessness. And so I went off and did a very large feasibility study on top of my regular job and on top of the fellowship I was doing. The idea was really well received. I also learned lots along the way because I was influenced by, yes, the idea of these organizations that champion evidence, but also by lean startup methodology and by the effective altruist movement that is all about ensuring that when we do good, we do the most good we can. The work of the center is all informed by all the work and discussions I had with brilliant people all over the world, as well as across the UK, within homelessness, but also outside homelessness, about what such an organization, how it might operate to achieve that vision of helping accelerate progress and towards a future without homelessness, because the big challenge we have at the moment in the UK is making sure that when we tackle homelessness, we do so as effectively as possible. You spoke earlier about how you didn't think that one sector would be able to overcome the problem of homelessness. I imagine that government would play a really big part in the eradication of homelessness. Have you had any interactions with government as part of the charity and how have they gone and what would you change? Good, I hope. (laughs) Hopefully they'll just get stronger over the years as we gain their trust and we grow the work that we're doing. 
homelessness is a devolved function in the UK. So we have strong networks, both with the devolved administrations, so Scotland in particular, where one of our co-founders is, and then the Welsh government and the UK government. And that would include MHCLG as well as cabinet office in particular. We're very keen as a centre to develop links with other government departments. And also key when it comes to homelessness is, of course, local government, local commissioners. And when we're talking about the people who want to influence, it's a very varied audience. So it includes commissioners, it includes foundations, it includes practitioners, but also politicians and officials. So it's a very varied range of audiences that we're trying to reach. At the moment, we have a unique opportunity across the UK to really do something different in this field because there's the political interest is there. It hadn't been for a very long time. But at the moment, homelessness is very much top of the political agenda in all UK nations. So the centre has emerged at the right time. I suppose that's partly why it's been so well received. It's because people want to make better decisions they will be looking to us for support and advice, and we just need to kind of adapt and move quickly enough without compromising the rigor of what we also need to do to support them as best we can. There are so many charities that are active, especially in London and the UK, and often in my experience, homeless people don't garner some of the same sympathies as those other groups. How do you deal with that? You know, your peers across other charities, how do you find that relationship? I don't think very much about what people think in terms of me working in homelessness. <laughs> it's always appealed to me, this idea of trying to do something for one of the most disadvantaged groups in society. It's a massive concern that people get stigmatized for being vulnerable. So that's really shocking. If there's anything that can be done about that, again, through using more evidence-informed communications to remove some of the stigma as well as ensure that the third sector is also not harming people by making it seem as if homelessness is an unsolvable issue. In terms of the relationships within the sector, again, at the moment is such an exciting period for anyone interested in homelessness in this country. There's a unique opportunity to really do things differently. Success will very much depend on whether we're able to learn fast and be open and in particular learn from what's worked in other social policy fields. So it's whether we look out enough. The centre is gently really trying to encourage people to look out, to learn from other organisations. It's not just homelessness. It's all feels like I tend to be so insular. It's one of the reasons why I like to be here and to be part of the wanting Ga because it's all about looking out. It's all about learning from others and things never being perfect are just trying hard all the time. If you could give a shout out to another charity that you, you've worked with or you know of that are doing really interesting work, who would that be? Well, I'm really interested in 80,000 Hours. They're a charity that exists to help students make better decisions about how to use the 80,000 hours on average that they're going to spend working. I really love how they've been able to bring very, very good research together with powerful communications. All their work is just very well thought through and very smart. I don't know them personally yet, but definitely would recommend you look into their work. William McCaskill, who was the youngest ever professor appointed at the University of Oxford and also the chief executive of Centre for Effective Altruism. They do very cool, simple things to help students make decisions about how to use their careers for maximum positive impact. So you're at the One Team Gov conference. How has it been so far? Unfortunately, I've only just arrived, but I'm really looking forward to being here this afternoon. There's lots of people I want to meet. 
And we should be having a really interesting conversation about the centre later as well. So I re- I'm really keen to get people's ideas about how we could push our initial work. Is there any one in particular that you're keen to meet up with? I haven't looked at the sessions out there yet, but I'm interested in meetings with some colleagues in Canada that are doing some interesting work, as well as Australia, around social impact. Shout out to Canada. Very happy to hear that. (laughs) Canadians would love to talk to you. There's definitely been a huge increase in homelessness in London. I'm not sure that everyone will be aware of the strategies that are taken around that. Could you give us some advice? In England, there's actually a new strategy just about to be released in August. We've been working with the civil servants to help them ensure that the strategy is evidence-informed. So that's really positive. The government has a target to harbour sleeping by 2022 and eliminate it altogether in 2027. So it's a tough deadline, but there are new people, new resources, definitely more appetite for evidence-based approaches. So for us, it's about ensuring that we're there to help people as best we can through new tools that haven't been using homelessness, helping to build the evidence base, but also helping mobilise people in a more focused way to ensure that in our efforts, we're not just trying to do good or managing homelessness, we're actually working effectively to end it all together. That's fantastic. And finally, on your Twitter bio, you say you're trying to change the world, starting with myself. Constantly by reflecting, by learning, by listening, (laughs) which is really hard. When something doesn't work, you just try something else and you don't expect things to change around you. You just start with yourself. I suppose I'd say the same about the sector. This is one of the reasons why I thought it was good to start with the effectiveness of interventions. Let's stop talking about who homeless people are for a little bit. As important as that is, let's look at what we are doing and how effective it is and focus our energy there. And that at least will enable us to keep things moving. I suppose I take a similar approach to me as, as a person. Finally, we always ask our guests for some recommendations. Could you recommend one podcast? I like Tiny Spot, a collection of really interesting podcasts about efforts to try to do good and how effective they are. So I'm very much into that. As you will have picked up, that's definitely a good podcast to follow if you're interested in these issues as well. Yeah, that sounds fab. Could be a rival. And finally, can you recommend one book? I'd recommend Doing Good Better. So that's the one that William McCaskill wrote that informed the creation of 80,000 Hours. Alicia, thank you so much for chatting with us and making the time to take out of the conference and from the sessions. We hope you have a fantastic rest of the day. Thank you very much for having me and uh, best of luck. Thanks, that was fab. Wow, that interview was awesome. How do you feel about that, Kylie? Really, really interesting. I loved that it was the first one that we did with someone from the charity sector and especially homelessness. I think it's a really interesting problem. The thing for me that really stood out from that was how much the evidence-based decision-making could be used across all of the areas of work that we do. I was just really surprised how little evidence-based interventions are used in the volunteering sector and to hear some examples of how that can work and how effective it can be, it was great to hear. Yeah, definitely. And I thought it was interesting when she was talking about how it's really hard to capture data on a transient population and how they're really reliant on places in government like local authorities to provide that data. 
it just shows how we need to try and continue to capture data at every level of government and more importantly to try and share that with people who can do useful stuff with it. What did you think about the intervention that she spoke about? I thought that that was one of the most interesting parts of the interview when she was talking about how they have this tool to study what effective intervention looks like. And she spoke about the fact that just giving homeless people a house can actually be a really effective intervention and how that was something that wasn't actually used until quite recently in America and has now moved to the UK. But it just shows that a lot of evidence-based work can really challenge our assumptions that we have about people and can make sure that we are doing the right thing as opposed to the wrong thing, which she alluded to a lot. Something that we really resonated with and is common across One Team Gov At the beginning, when she spoke about her background and she was saying how she used to be in academia and she started volunteering for crisis and then ended up working for them for a long time. And part of her motivation was that she wanted to do something more concrete, creating this new organization, the Centre for Homelessness, to help pin policy to evidence and to practice. And bringing those three elements together is really transferable. The other thing which I thought was fascinating was she gave the example of the Scared Straight program in the US, which was taking kids into prisons and trying to sort of intimidate them into not committing crimes by showing them how bad it would be if they got arrested and put in jail. And actually, it made children more likely to offend. She said three things. The first one, test everything. The second one, accelerate progress. And then the third one, don't do harm. And it was that final piece with the scared straight example in particular. I guess it's a bit like the medical profession. Before you intervene in anything, make sure that you don't make it worse. And using the data and the analytics and everything that they've been working towards to help influence charities and organizations working in the homelessness space to make sure that happens. 100%. It really struck me when she was talking about how, as people who have the ability to really put money and funds and effort into people's lives, it's really important that we take the approach that they're taking, especially when it comes to vulnerable people. That really struck me as evidence that those people were probably really powerless and didn't have much privilege and therefore were allowed to have that done to their lives. I can't imagine many parents saying, oh yeah, go ahead, take my kid to prison especially with people who are underprivileged or people who are in dire situations like homelessness. We need to really make sure that we're not doing harm and that the interventions are actually effective. I was just so impressed with the work she was doing around that. The 80,000 hours program was wicked. I had a look into that afterwards. She mentioned that guy, Will, who was from University of Oxford and runs the Centre for Effective Altruism, which I just think is probably the best description of an organisation ever and about how you can make a difference and use the extent of your career to make sure that you're giving back and doing things that, as you said, go towards underrepresented groups in society. I thought that was wicked. I'm just really, really impressed with their vision. One of the things that she talked about was a lot of the narrative was that it's not a solvable problem. The idea that the homeless population are destitute really feeds into funding cycles and being able to raise money. And most people have been doing an absolute stellar job in trying to eradicate it. She talked about it like it was a solvable problem and really presented that as the vision for the work that she's doing. And I think that when you have problems that are really, really difficult, it's really important to make sure that you have lofty visions so that we can keep moving towards those more inspiring goals. 
it really came through that the work that the Centre for Homelessness Impacts are doing is proving that homelessness is a solvable thing, as you said. And I actually didn't realise that current goal for the UK is to eliminate homelessness completely by 2027, which is really soon. And the fact that they're setting themselves that objective, I think also speaks to the fact that the evidence is starting to show that it is possible. So that was really inspiring. It's just amazing that she's such a hustler. She just had so many things going on. I think just from a personal perspective, she was really, really inspiring. She talked about having a regular job and she was doing a fellowship and she was studying. I was like, oh my gosh, I should start doing more with my life. <laughs> yeah. When we asked her about her Twitter bio, trying to improve herself. And that's herself, it from the One Team Gov show. If you enjoyed reflect, this episode, listen, you can download, and listen and subscribe and through all major platforms, that in including all Apple so, yeah, Podcasts, a little bit of Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, Blubbery, Spreaker, Acast, Radio Public, Player FM, Overcast and Podbean. We're also available on Amazon Alexa. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs>